Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. With me is Benjamin Solak on a beautiful Fan Friday edition of Locked On NFL Draft. Taking a little bit of a break from the guest mock draft series, but we'll be back this weekend in case you guys missed that. We're doing episodes over the weekend. We couldn't rob you of Fan Friday, though. That's so many people's favorite episode of the show every single week. And so even though we're trying to power through this guest mock draft, we couldn't take Fan Friday away from you guys. We had to keep the power in the hands of the people. Ben, got a lot of questions this week. I mean, tis the season. We got a lot of people who are following the podcast and we're getting involved and who are new allies of the podcast, which we love to see. But also, that means the questions get, or get a little bit crazier every time we do these Fan Fridays. That, but also there's like actual draft questions. This is not like a summer oh, that's fan true. Friday. That's true. Where it's like, hey, here are things you didn't even know existed. They have have thoughts and opinions, and it's like, ah, oh, ah, uh, no. It's like the drafts. So like I feel like it's it's still decently regular ones. There are truly seasons of Fan Friday. I think like throughout the calendar year, they just evolve mm-hmm. as we, the parts of this podcast evolve. I we actually absolutely. We actually have a uh, an outside the box one here to start us off. You ready for it? Hey, me. Daniel asked this question. <laughs> he said, "As you may or may not know, Aaron Rodgers has been killing it this week on Jeopardy." So, Aaron Rodgers, quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, has been Never the host of, of Jeopardy this oh, week. Oh, now I know. Yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. He said, "I was wondering if you and Ben could talk about the implications of." An NFL where Rodgers decides to become the new Jeopardy host. That's his new calling in life, and he just decides to retire from the NFL right now. So, I mean, it, it is like this is unbelievable. But like the Packers did prepare for this by drafting Jordan Love. I know it's not <laughs> that crazy for the Packers themselves. Right, exactly, the Packers. Like, yeah, we we, we saw this coming uh, from a mile away. <laughs> we knew. Uh, no, but Rodgers has been a little mercurial across these late stages of his career and just kind of having fun in the media and then obviously he's doing this Jeopardy thing and having a blast with that. So the implication for the Packers really wouldn't be that much. I think that they would, you know, sign a veteran and then roll with Jordan Love as a starting quarterback. The bigger thing would be, I think, the impact they would have on the NFC as a whole. Right. Because I would say right now the Packers are a top two team in the NFC with the Bucs. Uh, it opens up space in the NFC North, which is a division where, like, the Bears for all of the quarterback memes are still pretty good. The Vikings for all of the Kirk Cousins bits are also still pretty good. The Lions are also there. But that opens up, I think, a door for the Vikings and for the Bears to push for a division win, push for a playoff. So that, I guess, has an impact. But I think the biggest impact is, right, there's no there's no longer a... Uh, 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 there's no longer a top tier. It's just the Bucks at the top of the NFC. God, and I think love that... To hear it. Yeah, so that I think is the biggest impact of that sort of a move. It's very funny, but like, I think the Packers would be okay-ish. I think they'd be fine, but I feel like the Vikings would win the NFC North because I'm not betting on the Chicago Bears again. I mean, they way overachieved in their first six games of the season, five games of the season, something like that, last year. And so their record should not have even been 8-8, eight and eight, to be honest. The Packers would, I think, be 
closer to eight and eight because I don't I don't really trust Jordan Love, but the rest of the team has some really talented players on it. So I think that they'd be close to five hundred. I feel like the Vikings would win that division with nine or ten wins. So I think Vikings are making the playoffs in in this scenario. I think Dallas is probably winning the NFC East next year. I mean, yeah, Tampa's winning the NFC right. South, and then with no Drew Brees, I don't even know what New Orleans is going to be. I don't think Carolina's ready with Sam Darnold. Falcons will be just like, okay, like I, I automatically think there's a massive gap in the NFC South. I had, The NFC West is the only interesting kind of conversation. Right, right. I had the Seahawks versus the Bucks in the NFC Championship game if this happened. If Rodgers decided to hang up his cleats and pick up his tiny microphone and his cue cards. <laughs> tiny microphone. Uh, you said something that was interesting to me, and I forget what it was. Wow, oh, thank you. Appreciate you it. Said, nah, 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 you said the, uh, you said the, uh, the Vikings would win the division? Yes, I think the Vikings win the NFC North next year. If, I think, if Rodgers goes away. I think right now... Uh, the Bears would be the Vikings for the division. Oh, not no. no. With Dalton? No. Yeah, I think so. No. Bad defense? Sure. No. All right, you're right. Good point. Never mind. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> I that's I that's, that's how I saw it playing out. I don't know. I'm not a believer in the Bears. <laughs> haven't had a losing record in the last three years. Come on. Lord have mercy. <laughs> Jacob asked this next question. Do you guys feel with the opt-outs and lack of a true combine that this year will be looked at in the future as a draft with the biggest busts or misses? I personally feel like there will end up being a lot of overdrafted players and a lot of late-round breakout players. It's an interesting idea, and I think that you're right in the sense that with more uncertainty, there's going to be more variance to the point where I think there will be picks that that are made earlier than they would have been made otherwise if they're a 2020 season and picks that are made later if they're had or had not been a 2020 season for those players whatever in general though i think that the league has busts and the league has hits and that yeah that rate won't be too affected by this year because even for this year being what it is it's still just a draft you know what i mean it's still just the draft and it's it's kind of as as it goes right the big thing is that because of the extra senior year afforded, the extra year of eligibility, nobody was forced into declaring this year. Nobody was forced out of college ball. So this is a thinner draft on day three of veteran senior, you know, 22, 23-year-old guys who are mostly just bottom of the roster dudes. But that's really the only big impact in the class. Uh, still, like, those players who would have gone round one after a normal year probably came out anyway you know what i mean like jason always out here in this class with zero sacks you know what i mean like it's like it, 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 i think that the top talent is what it would have been otherwise and yeah some of them will hit and some of them will bust as as is always the case uh, yeah i kind of agree with you i don't think the combine makes that big of a deal because you you still have all the tape like the the scouting department still have all the tape on these guys that they played the opt-outs a little bit just because you know, like we had going into the year, how we were so infatuated with Gregory Rousseau and what he could be as an edge rusher. And it's like, okay, well, there's a difference projecting him, thinking he has another year of college football left and projecting him from what we saw in 2019 and then the very next football game that he plays his first game in the NFL. There's a difference in that regard. I think that, honestly, what might cause there to be more misdrafting, if if you want to call it that, 
isn't necessarily the opt-outs or the combine, but I think it's the lack of intel and lack of potential background that you could get on players. And the background part is obvious because there's just less less time that you get to spend with these guys, less face-to-face that's happened over the last year, less scouts getting to watch these players in person. So that part we already understand, but the intel is a big deal. Like, when pro days happen, when the combine happens, when the the senior bowl is completely opened up, when the East-West Shrine game is a thing that's happening, all of these football minds that may have a big say in the final decision or a small say in the decision, whichever it is, they chat with each other. They talk, and they they talk about football the same way that we all talk about football, and they talk about like who they like in the draft and who they think their team's going to draft, right. and like all this stuff, and that sometimes really helps you not necessarily Me? form your board, not you personally, not necessarily form your board any differently, but maybe it'll change how you run those scenarios that you have, those mock drafts that you do to think of who could be the target players that might make it to you or that you might want to trade up for and things like that. So, you know, I, I feel like to, to rope this into something that we actually did recently, we did a Buster Broken episode over at the Draft Network's YouTube channel with... Uh, Pat Leonard, who covers the New York Giants, and the topic was Eli Apple, and something that he revealed to me that I didn't know before is that the Giants didn't even really want Eli Apple. They wanted Leonard Floyd and Jack Conklin, and both of those two just went one and two, like boom, boom. Right before the Giants pick. Right. And so like I remember everybody thought they were gonna be Leonard Floyd. Right. And so like they kind of panicked and they were like, uh, I guess we'd like this uh long athletic corner guy. Sure, we'll take him. And I I wonder if that happens maybe once or twice or a handful of times more than it normally would have. That's probably my take on whether right. or not there would be more buzz. That's what I think. Yeah. No, I think that right. I think that more busts that are attributed to kind of that, you know, personality, vibe, team fit, knowledge of a player, so on and so forth. That I can see happening for sure. Uh, the question of like, will the number of busts increase overall? I'm still not sold on, but yeah, I, 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 I think that's it. That, that point's well taken. Yeah. That you're going to have teams draft players that they've just done less background work on to the degree to which you think that background work is necessary and is valuable as a whole separate conversation, you know? Yeah. Uh, Nick asked his next question. As a Jags fan, we all know that Lawrence is going to be the number one overall pick. <gasps> wow, gasp. But hey. with the, yeah, don't spoil it, Nick. We need ratings. Don't do this. But with the 25th pick, 33rd pick, and 45th pick, I would love for them to get Trayvon Merrick, Pat Fryermuth, and Rondell Moore with those three picks. Who do you guys think that they should draft where when it comes to those three picks for the best chance of them being available for the Jaguars? And then is there anyone else that you would consider taking in that mold as opposed to those three guys? It's a good question. So I think if you're looking for, uh, if like Merrick, Rondell Moore, Pat Frymuth, you're a big fan of all of these guys, these guys are your dudes, then I think you need to get Merrick at 23 or 25? 20, 20, 25, 25, 25, 25. 25. Uh, I expect Merrick to go first round. Merrick's the top safety in the class to me Thanks comfortably. Uh, and I think he's more likely to go round one than Rondell Moore, who obviously has the health thing going on, and Pat Fryermuth. At 33, I think I would take Moore before I would take Fryermuth. And I know Fryermuth is like tight end two, and Moore is like tight end as wide receiver like seven or eight for most people. Uh, there's more body types that are like Moore. You know what I mean? If you 
miss him, maybe you get Elijah Moore. Uh, you can get Amari Rogers around later. You know what I mean? So, so I, I hear the argument for taking more earlier, or excuse me, excuse me, taking more later because there's more uh, replaceables like people. There's more similar body types, similar roles. But I don't think Frymuth is is graded that highly by the league. Uh, and so I think that you're more likely to have Frymuth on the board at 45 than you are to have Rondale. Uh, so I would take Rondale at 33 and Pat Frymuth at 45. In terms of the usage in the roles, I love Merrick for them. Uh, except I, I comp him to Ronnie Harrison, a player that they traded away, uh, who I think would have been quite good. Yeah. Uh, and has been quite good in Cleveland. Uh, I like Frymuth for them a lot. Rondale is interesting just because uh, I think that his best usage has him getting backfield touches, scheme touches, and all that behind line of scrimmage stuff for which you already have a player in LaVisca Chenault. Uh, LaVisca can be more than that. But you already have Marvin Jones and DJ Chark. So how much more of that can he be with those targets already taken? It's a little bit tricky. Uh, and so I really like the Fryermuth and Merrick targets. Rondell Moore, I'm a little bit more hot and cold on. I think you have the right order there. I think you've got to pick Trayvon Merrick at 25 if you want him. It's just a big risk letting him fall further picks than that. I don't know how much higher he would go than 25, but I know anything after 25, you're getting in danger of any team kind of even moving up to go get the best safety in this draft. I I also think I agree with you that if you want Rondell, you've got to pick him at thirty three. I, I don't think that I don't think you can wait on it because there is, like you said, a better chance for Pat Fryermuth to be available at forty five than thirty three. Even though the tight end class is a little bit more scarce, the only guy that I would also throw in there is I suppose Christian Barmore. I see a lot of Jags fans talking about interior defensive line, so if you really wanted him, I think you could throw that in there. I certainly would not be picking Barmore at twenty five over Merrig. If Merrig is there, I'm totally picking Merrig over him, but it becomes a conversation when you get into 33 and 45. So that's probably how I would, uh, how I would rank those. Matt asks this next question. What's the biggest thing that got you through quarantine this past year? Fishing. And there's a chance my answer is just fishing because it's fishing season is just opening up in Michigan now. And so the only thing I've been thinking of for the last like week has been fishing. Um, but I think the experience that everybody had in quarantine at first was like this desire to find things to get out of the house, like to do uh, out, uh, outside of the house that obviously you like, needed to do outside and you needed to be isolated from people, especially because like last year, we didn't know just how safely you could be outside and how safely you could be around people. Right. Uh, that's all what fishing is. It's going outside and getting as far away from people as possible. That's <laughs> a big part of the of the deal. And then it is a. Uh, if you're doing it right and you're enjoying it, it's a time consuming thing as well. Uh, and so we get you outside. And so like uh, the only thing I did all summer that was like a vacation was going to the Albert Peninsula with a couple of other guys and doing hiking and going fishing. And that was like I would have gone stir crazy right. without that. And then just right. without the ability on any given day to be like, all right, I'm just going to go bank fishing for a few hours just because if I sit and I stare at a screen anymore my eyes are going to bleed. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that. And that, that's, you know, that's, that's a real reality, real reality, tremendous turn of phrase. That's a reality for uh, us as like in our roles year round quarantine. Otherwise is like, how can I get away from the screen? Cause I feel like I need to be in front of it. And if I'm in front of it, I'm going to be seeing news and, and seeing takes and yeah. seeing, uh, yeah. you know, clinics and videos and articles. And it's going to keep me there longer. It's just a big pit. Yeah. Uh, and so having, something that actively gets me away from the screen was, is always important. And then during quarantine, it became like light critical life saving, right? Like yeah. you said, so to me, man, I think everybody in the entire world should go fishing. That's the bomb. Fishing is a, you know, if you do it often and, and I don't, I don't really do it too often, but 
when, when I used to live back in the town that I grew up in, like Bradenton, Sarasota area, a friend of mine was very handy with, with, um, with all kinds of different stuff, like ATVs, cars, boats, whatever. And he found this boat that this guy was selling because he didn't know how to fix it, so he's selling it for dirt cheap. He ends up buying it from him. He fixes it up for... And, and, you know, it ends up coming out that he, he got a massive steal for this thing. And we would just go out on the boat. This, this isn't during quarantine. This is many, many years ago. And he'd kind of sit there and be fishing. And, and I'd just be chilling on the boat, drinking a cold one, hanging out with him and a couple of other people and whatever. And we'd just go out on the boat after work and everything. And there, there's, like, nothing like it. So you talking about being around the water and fishing. Fishing in Florida, too, is that's I to- the dream. I, I totally get it. The biggest thing that got me through quarantine, once things kind of started to open up a little bit more or at least when we got to the point where it was like okay you you could you could leave your house somewhat safely if you were practicing things the correct way there was another couple that uh Alyssa and I are very good friends with that you know having them and and being able to see them in outside settings even to just to you know see other humans and interact with other humans I mean like that was a uh, that was truly a lifesaver I don't know where we would have been without those two people and then honestly this job you know, you talk about sitting in front of wow. a screen and that's what we do all the time and you're totally right, but there was also an avenue for me to instead of having to just constantly run through things of like you said, like like the news and what was going on and everything was terrible, obviously you needed to make sure that you were staying educated and up to date on a lot of stuff, but sometimes you just needed to turn it off for your own mental sanity and for me, that could be as simple as Hey, Ben and I are starting summer scouting. I'm going to start watching some of these guys for next year. And like that, that's just what it was for me recording this podcast, like interacting with y'all who listen, like all that kind of stuff. That's the things that gave me a little bit of a distraction, even though it wasn't away from a screen necessarily. That was something that could take my mind off of it, get back to a little bit of normalcy, if you will. And, and so this job definitely saved me in a lot of ways because I was able to kind of turn my brain in a different direction. And then I think the, the only other thing is, uh, we got our dog, we got Marvel during quarantine. dog, So becoming a dog dad, learning how to become a dog dad was, uh, that, that was something that got me through. The other thing about like this job in quarantine was like it, we kept it. You know what I mean? Like, no, that, yeah, no like doubt. it's an under we lucky, an underrated thing. It just is a weird way of phrasing it, but like a big difficult part of quarantine for a lot of people was like, I don't have work, so I don't have something to fill my day. And so it's just kind of me existing in this place of like fear, right? Like yep. this is a scary time to be in. I sure. don't have this job. I don't know what my future is. We're, we, you know, football keeps chugging and football worked very hard to keep chugging. And that was a, a, a tricky thing. And, and whether or not it should have been done and whether or not it was done correctly is, is a very difficult thing to calculate and to figure out. But it, it kept chugging. And as it kept chugging, a lot of those people who are probably not listening to the show uh, kept reading, kept listening because yeah. that's, you know, they're out there on walks and they want a podcast or they were out there at home and they wanted to read something. And like, that was critical because it put food on the table right. and also gave right. us stuff to do. Yeah. Yeah. We were, well, I mean, thanks friends. Very, for, yeah. Very fortunate to have this job. Very fortunate that y'all listen to us, you know, hopefully our words, our conversations, our laughs made things a little bit easier for everybody over the last year. That's, that's the most powerful thing that we could do. So uh, for all of you who listened over quarantine, got even more involved with the podcast, got more connected. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for hanging out with us every day. Hopefully we made uh, the last year of your life a little bit better, no matter what you were going through. Connor asked this next question. He said, hey man, thought of a good question for Fan Friday. Well, Connor, good for you, because now you're on the show. Your team Congratulations. and Ben's team, which is unfortunately also my team, he's an Eagles fan, 
are obviously in very different stages of the team building life cycle. How does that change the way you think they should approach the draft as far as making more picks versus less picks, higher floors versus higher ceilings, etc.? Warranted question. Good question. Uh, it is necessary to understand at what stage of team building you're in uh, because I think it defines just how you calibrate to best player available versus need. Uh, we talk about this a lot when we go through first round mocks. Uh, the earlier you're drafting, A, the better of the board is assumed to be there. You got to remember there's never 32 first round grades in a class, usually like 14 to 20. Uh, so you're drafting earlier, there's going to be first round players that are like consensus first round guys. Everybody thinks these guys are going to be strong players. And later you're drafting, you start to move away from that. And so the caliber of player is going to be different. Uh, and usually when you're drafting earlier, your team's not as good. Uh, you could take a big year one leap. You could have had big changes in free agency. It could have been like we talked about Marcus Moser and the Cowboys the other day, like a lot of injury kept them early in the draft. And so in that instance, the, the Cowboys roster, like they don't really need a starting wide receiver. They're good on the starting offensive line. They could, you know, improve at a spot if they want to, but they'll be fine with those guys. And linebacker core is good. Edges are good. Maybe they could get a defensive tackle, whatever, whatever. Corner is what makes sense for this team. Their big gap is that corner. And even though they're picking top 10, that's really their gap, and they should go get that player. So you're going to draft for need a little bit in that context, but you're up at the first round, and so you're going to go get that that consensus first-round grade in Patrick Sertan. When you're drafting later, typically you're, you're a really, really good squad, and accordingly you only have one or two needs. And now it's no longer consensus first-round players. Now it's a bunch of guys who maybe they're scheme-specific, maybe they're more so year-two guys, maybe they're low-ceiling, but they're pro-ready. And so there's different factors to consider, and now you can go after and really attack a single particular need. Usually you only have that one need of one or two needs and you go and you go after that guy versus those teams that are earlier in the draft. If you've got long timeframes ahead of you, now you're looking at, I'm going to try to go best player available. Uh, like Eagles are a great example this year. Eagles could use a wide receiver. They could use a corner. They could use a linebacker and they could justify offensive tackle and they could justify edge. They might even take quarterback. So like it's, this is a bad football team, bad roster, got no money to spend in free agency. They're going to draft the board as it comes to them. They're trying to get the best player that there is, and they're going to go BPA. Tampa Bay for Trevor is a team that's going to go either high-impact running back, right, to to make that uh, that offense complete for the end of the Tom Brady era. Might replace Antonio Brown. Again, we're going to try to uh, replace that role, bring out the same offense we brought to the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. or what? Defensive tackle replacing Dominican. No, they resigned Dominican Sue. Yeah, right. Yeah, so just because they got no need. So you're just right. going to go and you're going to get, right, you're, you're going to fill the gap that's left on your offense from a departure and you're going to try to run this thing back. Jason Light has said recently in an interview that when they build their draft board, they build it out for expectations of the players being in year two or year three of their NFL career. And he thinks that that's a very healthy way to draft. And I, I don't disagree with him because that's often how you want to project. You want to, you don't just want to say like, okay, this guy is going to give us the most this year. So that's who we're going to have higher on our board. No, that's not always the case. Sometimes these guys are younger. Sometimes they need development. Sometimes the big payoff, the correct payoff, especially of where you're going to draft him comes in their sophomore junior seasons of when they are in the NFL. And so I feel like, you know, answering this question as a as somebody who follows the Buccaneers, Jason Light would tell you that you are picking the player with the higher ceiling and the higher projection because it's not always about this year. But at the same time, Tampa doesn't win that Super Bowl if Tristan Wirfs and, and, and say, Antoine Tampa, Winfield Tampa Jr. Tampa can say whatever they want about it. it's not this year. That team signed Tom Brady in free agency. That wasn't about three years from now. Well, and, and no, no, no. I think that it's not all of the moves that are like that. 
I think free agent moves and additions to, you know, if you have a healthy draft process, if you go about things the right way and you do it right for, let's say, three or four years in a row consistently, your team is going to be in a very healthy spot, especially when it comes to players of impact positions, that throughout those three and four years, when you have money to spend in free agency, you go after guys who are going to help you either open up a winning window or keep it open longer. The Brady one wasn't about three years down the road. That was, of course, the right now. He's more talking about drafting, but like I said, Mm -hmm. they don't win that Super Bowl without Antoine Winfield Jr. and Tristan Wurst playing well right away. They do not win that Super Bowl. And so you can absolutely have that philosophy that, hey, normally we project guys a couple of years out, but the Buccaneers are in a unique situation where you want to get guys who can contribute to your team right away. And not many teams are often in the exact spot that they are. So I would tell you that that's how it becomes a little different. That's normally the process they go with, but Light and the rest of his staff might accelerate things a little bit knowing that, hey, they should be all in on the next two years. They have the greatest quarterback of all time on their team, and they should be go getting they should be getting draft players, draft prospects who will help them win right away. So that's what I think. Fair. Folks! Bet online is the easiest and fastest way to get in on all of the sports action. Football might be over, but the MLB, the NHL, the NBA, it's all in full swing. Bet online's even covering those award shows, the TV shows, the reality TV that you guys love to watch. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit when you use the promo code Locked On. That's all caps, one word, Locked On. On Bet Online, your online sports book experts. More Fan Friday questions coming up after the break. Get all the sports news that you need in just under 20 minutes with the Locked On Today podcast. Host Peter Bukowski updates you on the latest news in every major sport with the help of our local experts. Follow the Locked On Today podcast on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Keeping things going here, Matthew asks this next one. If everything is delicious, this is a bad question. If everything <laughs> is it. delicious, is music always good? Yeah. Always? I, do I enjoy every single song? No. But that's that's my taste. You know what I mean? That, that's things like everything is delicious, but I don't like eggplant. I don't think eggplant is like tasty. I don't like eating eggplant. And in that way, eggplant is not delicious. But in a much more high-level spirit of the world uh, personal choice sense eggplant is delicious man that's a that's a vegetable it grows it's prepared in a variety of ways by talented chefs for consumption and through it we are healthy we get vitamins and we survive music is not always to my taste but somebody put a lot of time and effort into creating that song and it's for somebody and that somebody appreciates it so it's delicious you ever had eggplant parmesan like chicken parmesan but it's it's just eggplant instead of chicken eggplant sucks and parmesan does not uh, redeem it in any way, shape, or form. Are you saying that as like slander on Parmesan? Like, are you doubting Parmesan's abilities to enhance? A I'm dish? telling you, Matt, eggplant isn't good, and regardless of how you prepare eggplant, it remains not good. What if I objectively disagree with you? That's that's that, that that's your prerogative. Would you, you say you, that that disagreement wrong. is delicious? Say it again. Would you say that that disagreement, that opinion, is still yeah. delicious? Absolutely, man. You should get it, you know. That's what disagreements among friends. We're still gonna hop on Sunday and record the next podcast. I am going <laughs> to spiritually break you with this you know, over the next year. Of friendship. You are going to on one episode just 
scream at me and that's why you guys need to listen to every single episode because we did get a question that was like what's the angriest football's ever made you oh yeah we're gonna well do you want you want to do that one right now we can uh, sure i don't have a great answer though so. okay uh where what was the exact question i'm now i'm scrolling i'm looking for it uh what's the maddest you guys have ever gotten about something football related it was probably when I was a kid, right? Like it was like probably when the Eagles lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots the first time around, and I was like five or six. That I was like, "This is the worst anything will ever be ever in history." Uh, I was a hysterical Eagles football watcher when I was a kid. I put a hole in a wall once when they lost to the uh, they lost to the red football team. It was at the time it was Washington. Yeah, so they lost to the football team. Uh, and was it drywall I or was a, it brick? Did you, did you just fire the fist through some brick? It was drywall, and I jumped onto a chair, and <laughs> I jumped onto it very aggressively. It was like an armchair, right? And it had the little like cushions you put under the feet of the armchair so it doesn't scratch the hardwood. Sure. And I jumped on it really hard, and it slid, and the back of it went into the wall and put a hole in the wall. And then <laughs> after that, I wasn't allowed to watch football in the living room anymore. I had to go upstairs to my parents' room and watch one whenever the Eagles played because that way I would damage less things. So that's probably the most angry I've ever been. Yeah, I, th- I would say that that's <laughs> probably the angriest that you've ever been. Yep. I'm going to get a text from my mom at some point on Saturday. And she's going to be like, you told the story all wrong. It was this and it was that. And you did this. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I was five. I don't really remember it. If the great Mosh wants to come on and uh, dispute the story, she always... Has the freedom to do. Don't so. make offers you're not willing to uphold like that, brother. Uh, the maddest I've ever been for a football game is probably something Florida related. I don't know because when I was a student there, they had two different seasons. They had 2012, which was the year that they went to the Sugar Bowl. So like every game that I watched in purpose on er, on purpose in person was phenomenal it was like euphoric it was amazing they won like every game except for the last game that sugar bowl which i i guess but i was just more disappointed than mad the next year must champ went four and eight so it was like i we suck like i like it wasn't uh it wasn't like a big deal so i wasn't super I like mad how in it. the first year when they did well it was florida doing it and then the second year when they did poorly it was must champ who went four and eight yeah That's of course yeah yeah That's how it goes this is look you ever been a sports fan before this is how it goes so that's probably it. I don't know. I probably got I, I probably got pissed at something Florida related. I remember I would get more pissed actually with Tampa Bay Lightning games. There was a oh. <laughs> here we go. They found we found the one. Um, what is this now? Two three years ago, y'all out there remember when Tampa was the one seed and the Columbus Blue Jackets were the eight seed. And Tortorella was their coach. And, of course, Tortorella was the Stanley Cup winning head coach for the Lightning back in 2004. So this one was personal. The Lightning, which were just a machine that year as the number one seed, were up 3-0 at the end of the first period. And I remember just throwing drinks back, was happy as could be. This series is already over. Oh, dude, yeah. it was. I was letting tweets fly. Columbus comes back and wins that game 4-3. And I remember Alyssa was there and we like, she's like, are we going to Uber home? And I'm like, nope, I'm too pissed off. I'm going to walk home. And we walked like something stupid, like three, four miles home. And she was just like, why are you so mad? And I'm like, but you don't understand. Like the team was good. And like now that like now they're bad, like you just don't get it. And it, and like at the end of it, I woke up you the next day and it's like, work. I was like, I was like, it makes it worse. <laughs> <laughs> like totally incoherent rambling. 
That's basically what it was. And Alyssa was like, at the end, she was like, you realize you're being a giant child right now? And I'm like, you just, you don't, you, you don't get. And then like, I woke up the next day and I'm like, yep, we have regret, folks. There was regret in Made the decisions. actions and decisions. Not good decisions. And then uh, Tampa went on to lose the next three games. It got swept. So I but, was wondering if it was that series. I didn't know if it was or not. Yeah, I that was that series. But like I didn't take the other three games nearly as hard because I, I you know, I I I had matured. I, I had grown up. I had become an adult lightning fan. And I left my childish ways behind me. But that's probably when I was the most mad about a sports game. Um Birds nine six six nine asked this one. Nice. Aliens have invaded the earth with plans to annihilate the planet. That's not good. Bad start. Yeah. Uh, you are given the choice to save mankind. Hit a half-court shot or kick a 50-yard field goal. Which one do you have? We have to edit this. Yeah, 50 is the most unreasonable thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Who is kicking a 50-yard field no, goal? Professional people don't hit 50-yard field goals. I, I mean, I think we should do like... I can knock in a 30-yard field goal pretty consistently. So I would like my answer will not change. Okay, all right. So if I if I cut it down to thirty, is yours just still a half court shot? Right. Well, the thing is, like, it is because I at, at the very least like understand the mechanics of shooting the basketball like in half court in terms of like I'm gonna try to heave it online. You know what I mean? As opposed to like I don't even know how to try to kick a football. Like I don't even know like how. Like you just walk up and you put your left foot near it, and then I don't even know where to aim. Do you hit the meat of the ball? Do you hit the nose? Like, is it between? I don't know. It's good swing mechanics. I never played a kicking sport ever, so I got nothing here. So to me, I'm taking a half court shot because I, at the very least, like understand generally what that's going to be like. What number would we have to get down to? Like 15 to the point where I feel like I could literally just like yeah, tell yeah. It. Okay, so like if we did a 10 yard field goal, yeah, I would probably attempt the 10 yard field goal. Okay. Even then, though, I'd be worried about getting it high enough. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just trying to find the line, and we found it. Ten yard field goal. Joe at work asked this next question: Do you think that teams would ever consider deploying positional scouts rather than regional scouts? All scouts probably have positions that they're more comfortable with. Why not have a defensive back or O line scout rather than say a West Coast regional scout? I really like this question. I, I hadn't thought I, about it. I do too. I I never thought of this before. And the more I thought of it, the more I like it. Yeah, uh, because I t- I talk a lot about how uh, digitally available film, whether for like the media on YouTube or just for like teams via their you know video software, has changed the way that we uh scout it's changed the way that we we go through film right you know what i mean like the the procedure of traveling to see a player actually play is not as important now now it's more of a fact-finding mission uh and so it is intuitive that as x players continue to enter the scouting profession it would still be necessary for them to understand all positions be able to evaluate all positions but that they would focus on those positions uh that they or that position i should say that they played in the league or in college there's a, a bit of a danger here where sometimes those who have played a position will struggle to evaluate and will struggle to teach it because they played it, because they have a, a, a narrow uh, specified view of like, this is how I did it. You know what I mean? And sometimes it can be tough to step out of that and be like, there's a variety of ways to do it. 
that that work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. If a if a per, if a guy's like a ten year NFL vet, he has techniques that he trusts, and he has techniques that he doesn't. And a different body type, a different player in a different system may be using things that didn't apply for him, and that that can affect you. So it's a little bit of that too close to it phenomenon. But in general, this sounds like something that is reasonable and would we see it happening in media. You know what I mean? There's guys who do like you know Brandon Thorne, who, right? Who does, Tremendous stuff for trench warfare is a very good guy to follow online. He's not out here scouting wide receivers. I have no doubt that Brandon could watch a wide receiver and understand how he moves and whatnot, but Brandon's largely evaluating offensive linemen because right. that's what Brandon does. Right. And like that specification, I think, is to his benefit. So yeah, I like it. I really love this. Joe, you often ask really great questions, by the way. I feel like Joe's questions Joe are consistently repeat fine. Asker. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joe asked Joe asked a lot of questions. He asked a lot of great questions. I really love this idea. And like yeah, I even thought of restructuring how you even have your scouting department where we've talked about this before. The best drafting teams when it comes to getting the most out of the players that were selected are often the ones that are in unison with the coaching staff, right? So why? I, I, I don't know exactly. Maybe this is the case that they are actually in the meetings and everything, but why not just have the coaching staff as part of the scouting staff? You know, like, it's not like they're doing nearly as much of the legwork, but instead of, say, regional scouts here and there, why isn't it just like, okay, we have our offensive line coach, who is the coach of the players that are on the team. We also have two offensive line scouts. And it's like, those three work under somebody, and they have, like, their collection of data, and they talk about the exact players that would work for that team. I feel like that would be way more streamlined. There would be much less that would yeah. get in the way, less games of telephone, less, hey, I think this guy's good, but the scouting director might not, but the GM doesn't, but the owner thinks they're good. And they're, I, I don't know. I think that this is, I love this idea. This is fantastic. Right. I'd be worried about the time balance for the, like the coach scout sure. hybrid idea. Sure. But I, yeah, I see, I like the point that you're making is like, like if there were positional scouts, they would end up becoming quasi coaches because they would work hand in hand with the positional right, coaches that, anyway. That's kind of what I'm saying. It, yeah. it is like, and and the coaches themselves wouldn't do the work during the season. Like they would, they would simply get with the offensive line scouts who they hopefully already know very well, have a good relationship with, already trust with their analysis, and they would jump on when the season is over. You know, February, March, April, all of that, and they're they're going over things, they're making the big board, whatever. So. I love this idea. Joe, when uh, when Ben becomes general manager of an NFL team and hires me because I trade one job employment for one owed Publix chicken tender sandwich that he had yet to pay me. Reasonable. That's the going exchange rate in the market. Of course. Then uh, then we'll make this happen. ADP asked this when he said, build your own hot pocket. Short, sweet, right to it. I've never eaten a hot pocket in my life. No Is that a regular way. thing? Whoa, 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 whoa. I feel like. What do you mean? Is it a regular thing? Like hot pockets in general, or eating hot pockets? No, I feel like I feel like the only thing I feel like nobody is ever in a hot pocket, and it's all just memes. I feel like everybody just like makes jokes about hot no. pockets, and nobody's actually ever in a hot pocket. You didn't grow up eating hot pockets? No way, man. Man, I'd get home from school and I'd be hungry, and we wouldn't be eating dinner for another like two and a half hours, and be like, Nah, I can't do this. And I'd throw a hot pocket in there. In my looking up of hot pocket, I learned that in 2014, uh, hot pockets had a massive recall because they, they filled a bunch of Philly steak and cheese hot pockets with, with infected meat. And then in 2021, this was this was like two months ago or whatever. Uh, there was a bunch of hot pockets that came out that had glass in them. And so in general, I don't feel like I'm missing out that much. Well, I mean, there, w- there wouldn't be glass in mine. 
I suppose that is true because you'd be adding the ingredients. <laughs> That's more than fair. You've got me with that one. I can see defeat. Uh, I have two different Hot Pockets outside of like the ones that already exist which is mainly just the pizza ones if you're eating anything else. I can't do, like, the ham and cheese one. Like, that's the one. That, like, I think that one's kind of gross. I'm, I'm only yeah, about the pizza one. Yeah. I'm, and, like, some people have tried to make, like, breakfast Hot Pockets before. No. Like, absolutely not about it. I don't really, I don't, I don't often mess with pre-cooked breakfast stuff. I just can't do it. Eggs get too weird in that scenario. I got either, like, an exact Philly cheese Hot Pocket, which probably already exists. Like, Philly cheesesteak Hot Pocket. Yeah, yeah. Probably already exists. And then I got another one. You know how you might not do this, but you know how like if you go to a barbecue place, you'll go get like pulled pork, coleslaw, baked beans, and like sometimes they'll give you like two slices of bread as well, and you'll go, oh, I'm gonna make a sandwich out of this bad boy. Oh yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Right, so it's that, but in a hot pocket. I can dig it. Okay, but I feel like the whole point of a hot pocket is that you like freeze it and yeah. then eat it. Right. right, right. How is coleslaw gonna keep in the freezer? You know, you got me there. it's a tricky tricky aspect here yeah okay in that case no nobody ever eat a hot pocket they've got glass in them brian asked this next one he said so the colts let anthony walker go in free agency and we're in need of a a starting caliber sam linebacker to pair with leonard and okarike who are some prospects in this draft who could fit that role of a sam linebacker so it's interesting uh typical sam linebacker build is going to be a little bit denser uh, not necessarily as quick. We want him to be able to play in the line of scrimmage. We want him to play potentially on the line of scrimmage, uh, be able to handle tight ends blocking one-on-one down at the line. However, we should acknowledge that the Indianapolis Colts really, really, really prioritize length in their linebackers. It's something that they've always, they look at Bobby Okariki, the pick they made after Darius Leonard, and you see just big dudes. Uh, so I like Baron Browning for them as a early drafted Sam. Browning played Sam linebacker, up until this past season, I think it was, for Ohio State. I may be misremembering that. Um, but he's played Sam before. He's played on the line of scrimmage before. 6'3", 241, and has that length. Now, the, the issue with this is uh, that the people who really like Browning, of which I'm not one, but the people who really do like Browning, like him as like a running chase will with length. Uh, so much more so in the Okariki and Darius Leonard mold that they already have. Uh, and so he's the one who fits their requirements, but I don't think has uh, the the play style you'd like for that role. The other guy is Zayvon Collins. Zayvon Collins is the best Sam in this class, flat out, um, because of the size, right? Like, he's got that old-school build for him. Those are your early drafted guys. I don't think they'll make those investments that early. Ergo, we go later in the draft. Uh, Derek Barnes out of Purdue is your Yeah, baby! These are the two uh, names I had. Let's go. Yeah, so Barnes is, is, has a uh, uh, played on the edge and more like he was more of like a permanent edge. And then he's since transitioned to be a stack linebacker, clearly a candidate to play Sam played at over 240 pounds, a little bit squat. He's like six foot one. I want to say uh, that's going to be your, your ideal Sam linebacker mold. And he's got the experience lining up there. Uh, the other player that I would want to mention is Riley Cole, who's out of South Alabama, who's a 6'2", 242. Uh, he was in a run and chase role for South Alabama and he's got good, size and good explosiveness again i think this is probably better for more of a traditional off-ball role but he's got the density necessary to play that job and i like him as a day three athlete so those are your names the big ones were zavin collins if you wanted to go early and barnes if you wanted to go later barnes's yeah. film is fun i mean like his I best yet to watch it dude his so i've only been able to watch two full games of him but i watched some highlight stuff to get a good idea of like what he would do really well and 
this dude plays with immense energy the whole time. Like he's just hyped up to play football. Like he's dude, just dude, so he, he is so amped to have a helmet on. Like that's that's the it. that's the way that he plays, and it's 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 infectious. I think, and so I really really loved his tape. I, I think John Ledyard also likes him a lot as well. I was seeing John tweet about him on the timeline. All right, we got a handful of questions that we got to get to. We're getting to him rapid fire style, so we can get to as many as possible. But that's coming up after this break. All right, rounding out the Fan Friday episode here. We're gonna get to as many questions as we possibly can. Jake asked this one. He's like, "Can you play your old intro music?" I forgot what it was like, and it's driving me bonkers. Ben, can you remember what the old intro music is? Absolutely. Uh, is it that one? <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I <laughs> That's how it goes. I wanted to I try to... Like the, I wanted to get you to sing it before... Right, right now. What'd you say? I feel like the, uh, why are you booing me? I'm r- or, why are you booing me? I'm right right now meme. That's how it goes. It was like, Bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-bam-
I think Ben is one of the brightest and most brilliant football minds that we have in the space. And being able to be the host and bounce things off of him made life a lot easier for me. It helped me be a lot more confident in the host chair because I knew that I could always lean on him. And so it's been, it has been quite the journey for me over the last two years on this podcast. It's, it's funny that we're reading this one right after the old intro music one, because when, when Jake asked that, I went back to an episode in 2019 of us, Ben, just to listen to the old intro. And I started listening to the first like five minutes of the podcast. I'm like, how did you people listen to this? I mean, like we've got audio used to be so bad, dude, it's awful. And so, I mean, like the volumes were all over the place. And so, uh, one, I, I, I appreciate you guys sticking with us through all of that. And two, it's been an awesome journey to grow as a host uh certainly with ben as my co-host here on this podcast and it's been a lot of fun we've had a lot of great laughs we've i feel like grown a lot in how we see the game and how we've been able to interact with you guys on the podcast as well and so it's been quite the journey i appreciate ryan giving us the shout out there asking us the question but it's been it's been a big journey for me specifically and i've had a lot of fun growing as a host here on this podcast yeah so uh okay drew lock was it was probably what my second month on the show you came out right? you came out guns blazing guns yeah. blazing but the thing is like since then i'm like i i on it like i reflect like would i say that now and the fans are probably no like i've probably like <laughs> become a a better analyst and be <laughs> uh more reasonable and, and and respectful with my approach um but for anybody who wasn't listening at the time uh we were going through quarterbacks for upcoming for the 2019 class. And Trevor said something about, like I was talking about like Dwayne Haskins and Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray and Trevor said something about Drew Locke. And I said, the thing to remember about Drew Locke is that he's bad. And everybody uh, loved it. it yeah. Well, I said, cause I said like the thing to remember about Drew Locke is, and then I like left his face and then I, I revealed that I thought he was bad. And that was very important to people. Uh, two years removed. Still don't think Drew Locke is, is, is the best quarterback uh, in the NFL. Still wow, think that, was, that, that was much yeah, more polite. Right? Uh, definitely have right changed the way that I've talked about quarterbacks. Um, but yeah, I feel like this was the first podcast that I did like, that I did daily. And it was, what's crazy to reflect on is over two years, uh, how much doing a daily show has not only affected like how I talk about football and, and the the way that I, I communicate my ideas and the way that I prepare and the way that I just like watch film. And like, you're always kind of consuming content with the idea of, all right, I'm going to have the podcast tonight. Like there's no breaking news that I'm not going to comment on anymore. Um, but it also just changes the way that I communicate daily. You know what I mean? Like it's crazy now to listen to podcasts and to understand what's happening on the back end. Uh, and it's, it's affected the way I write. It's affected the way that I just like sequence my ideas. Like you can't sit down and talk into a mic for an hour with the idea of creating something for consumption and not have it just like leak into the way that you communicate in the rest of your life. So like the, the, the podcast is formative. It absolutely is. Especially when you do it with this degree of frequency. Right. Uh, and you know, I love doing it with you too. I have a really great time. No, it's it, being able to do it every day. It forces you to become better. It, you're, it's kind of just like throwing you in the deep end and it's like, all right, well, Figure it out, cause twenty four hours from now you're gonna have to record again. So it's it's been a it's been challenging, but it's been a lot of fun. Patrick asks this next one, and we get to answer questions like this, which makes it great. You have one hour to eat seventy five chicken wings. If you eat them all, you win one million dollars. 
You are allowed to choose the style, either bone-in or boneless, the flavor, and your dipping sauce, also your drink. What are you choosing? So I think I'm choosing boneless, which are not actually wings, but the option was afforded me, uh, because that's going to be less meat per wing, right? I would think that you have a better chance of getting less meat per wing on boneless wings, but I would, I would be worried about the breading. I, yes, you know what I'm but saying? also like yes, but also there's like less sauce on a boneless wing versus a bone in wing, and I'm also worried about the amount of sauce. Ah, like that, that, but I'm, that that level of sweetness, right? Like that level of flavor, right? Like that's a lot of oil and whatnot. That to me, that's that's concerning. So like a true pro, I'm going dry rub. I'm not even going. I'm we're not we're not even going like flavor. We're not dipping into anything. Didn't know that was an option, but yes, the idea is to have as little flavor as possible. Right. I'm going dry rub here. Good dry rub. Bone in wings. I I would have ranch as my dipping sauce just because ranch is so good with wings. But I don't think I'd be doing a lot of dipping. I'd be doing like minimal dipping because again, you got to keep you got to keep the stomach as 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 open as you possibly can here. Because I don't think I can eat 75 chicken wings. Like, I don't think this is possible. I think right. I could it get absolutely like, isn't. I would die. I think I could get like 35 maybe. So about 40 short. Patrick's probably thinking this is light work because he asked the question, but that's probably the strat that we're going with. DL asks this next one. Why is 33-inch arms a requirement for offensive tackles? Seems like Elijah Vera Tucker and Eichenberg were considered tackles last week. Now I keep hearing that they're guards. So... so- 33-inch arms is a uh, benchmark measurement that is used to, from a a catch-all perspective, understand whether or not a player has the length to play at tackle versus a guard. We've talked about uh, the difference between tackle and guard before. We talked about having a covered shoulder versus an uncovered shoulder. Uh, You're less likely at guard to get a just a super wide rusher. You have to go out and and meet him way on the outside because you have that tackle inside of you. He's going to protect your outside shoulder as opposed to tackles who have that free outside shoulder. So you can get a wide nine alignment from a 240 pound rusher. Brian Burns, Vaughn Miller is going to sprint you to the outside corner and it's, 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 it's going to, you know, you're going to lose that rep. So you need to have long arms that you can get to the outside corner. You can tag the guy, the increasingly evident reality of NFL play, even as we're passing the football more is that there's a lot of different ways to beat wide speed rushers and not all of them necessitate length. Uh, and so you can have a 33-inch flat arm length player like Rashawn Slater play at tackle. You can have a 32 and a quarter inch arm length guy like uh, uh, Liam Eikenberg play at tackle. If you are confident in that player's other athletic traits to account for his lack of length, for Rashawn Slater, things like his quickness, his explosiveness, right? You see him jump set a lot. You'll even see him crossover set, which is very like advanced sort of stuff. Uh, that lets you go get those wide rushers. With a guy like Liam Eikenberg, it might be his hand strength, right? When he tags them, even if he's at a disadvantageous angle, you expect him to be able to secure that and maintain that through the rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, the other athletic traits help. And also, schematically, uh, we're getting the ball out quicker. Quarterbacks aren't setting as deep, which means that outside rush is losing its efficacy. Uh, these will allow your tackle to survive despite optimal length. Uh do you want a tackle with sub 33 inch arms? No. You want 35 inch arms and 6'7 and 315 pounds with a 4'9, 440. But sometimes you got to make concessions. <laughs> right. And, right. And so 
the Jason Peters and the Joe Staley's and the Joe Thomas's of the world, which are three classic arm length arguments, uh, have shown that we can succeed at this position with a variety of techniques and with an understanding of, of, of the weakness there and an anticipation of the weakness there that allows you to play tackles not at 33-inch arms. So for some old heads, for some old-style old scouting, for some dudes who, who they want to winnow down their board and they want to have their priorities, they won't look at a 33-inch arm player as a tackle. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, like I was reading the uh, the Arrowhead uh, guide. Uh, Kent Swanson and his team puts, puts together for the Chiefs, which is very, very good. Uh, draft guide for anybody, let alone Chiefs fans. Uh, Andy Reid's average tackle has like 34 and a quarter inch arms. Reid right. just wants length. That's what right. he wants. But right. other teams won't look at it like that, uh, and they'll be willing to draft those players and put them at that spot. Yeah, I mean, to oversimplify things, it's it's not how long the arms are, it's how you use them, right? And, and so it just it's more advantageous when you are the bigger, better athlete. That's just, that's how football right. is. So you have a better advantage when you are bigger and have more length than other players. Now, of course, that's not the be all end all with it. You have to also know how to use it. And some guys with shorter arms will know how to block better than guys with longer arms. But the reason why these thresholds exist is because some coaches are sticklers for, we want our tackles to be this size and they won't move off of it. And that's why. So it's it's never just a, the, the re- word requirement is the wrong word. Threshold for certain evaluators and certain big boards is the better way that we should say it because it's not. Requirement is not the word. You can be a good offensive tackle in the NFL with 32 and a half, 33 inch arms if you are a good blocker. Will you lose some ways that other guys might not because they have more length? Yeah, that's just going to be the business of it. But if you're okay with that and snap by snap basis, you're consistently winning, you can win in the NFL and be a starting offensive tackle. It's not a requirement. That's not the word. Uh, power rank your top three sleeping positions. This is from Chance. Say it again, sorry. Power rank your top three sleeping positions. Okay, thank you. I really did not understand a word you said when you first read the question. I was like, I'm trying to infer it from this list, and I cannot. Uh, I sleep on my chest, head tilted, so that my left cheek is uh, up, my left arm tucked underneath my body, my right arm tucked underneath the pillow. I cannot sleep in any other position. Yeah, I'm normally a, like, right side of the body kind of a guy sometimes i'm on my back if i'm super exhausted but not often and then other times like i'll just go like flat on my stomach but like that's that's normally the the sleeping position i'm going if i'm laying on my back i think i would be awake for 56 hours before i fell asleep i literally don't think i would fall asleep if i'm really exhausted i can just i I could just straight on the back i think if you're really exhausted but like on like on a night to night basis no i gotta if i'm not on my chest it's not happening. Wesley said we need to hear Ben's thoughts on WandaVision. Did you finish it? No. Okay. It's not. You don't have time. It's not. A, like, How many oh. episodes do you have left? I haven't watched in, in like tw- two weeks, oh. man. Have you watched any of Falcon and the Winter Soldier? No, got to finish WandaVision. Oh, okay, fine. Ask this question again and put more pressure on him. What are y'all's opinions on the draft hats this year? Um, they're not as bad as people make them out to be because that's just how the internet is, but they're definitely bad. I don't think they're great. This is the last one that we're doing. Top five number changes you want to see with the new uniform rules. So for everybody that missed it, there is a proposed rule change that allows wide receivers to wear anything from number one to number 49, along with 
80 to 89. Running backs, the same exact thing. And then DBs can wear any number one through 49 as well. I guess tight ends, I'll throw them in there, and linebackers. Those are ones that they can wear one through 49, except for linebackers can wear one through 59. So who would you want to see change their number the most? Firstly, okay, this is ridiculous. Our defensive linemen are being discriminated against. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to see... Vita Vea in one. All right. That's what I want to see there, Tiger. I want to see uh, him at zero, but you know. Yes, exactly. So, uh, main things I would like to see. I would like to see Patrick Peterson in seven, back to the LSU number. I would like to see Jalen Ramsey in eight, back to the Florida State number. I would like to see Jalen Smith in nine. I think that would be a sick and a cool, okay. you know, okay. uh, look back at what he did. There's a ton of wide receivers that are worthy and are interesting. Uh, Stephon Diggs wearing one, which would have worn Maryland. Yeah, would be I have really this. fun. I have that. Yes. I think that would be a great time. And then personally for me, uh, you know, because of the Eagles fandom, uh, I'd like to see uh, Jalen Waddle continue to wear 17. You might be like, Ben, 17 isn't new. You're like, well, here with the Eagles wearing 17. I think that would particularly look nice. You just had to throw that in there. That wasn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I have Stephon Diggs wearing number one. That's, also have, that's the best wide receiver one to make. Also have A.J. Brown wearing number one. Would like oh, to see that. He wore that in college. That's good also have Jair Alexander, our king, wearing number one. Because I feel like that'd be an awesome change. He didn't wear that in college. I think he was 10 in college, but still. Just go for it. Right, right, right. Yeah, just go for it. McCaffrey wearing five like he wore at Stanford. Because I think five is a great running back. That's number. actually kind of nice. And then yeah. the most badass one I could think of is Jadavian Clowney technically listed as an outside linebacker going back to seven, which he wore at South Carolina. My deep cut fan conspiracy theory is that the league, it kept defensive linemen out of this so that more edges try to classify as outside linebackers. And then they can franchise tag them as linebackers, not as defensive linemen. Are you with me? Wow. That's deep. There we go. We got to end the podcast now before they actually come for us. Yeah, they, they, I've seen through their 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 tricks. I've seen I've seen through their uh, tomfoolery. Oh no! All right, that's it, everybody. That's Fan Friday. Before Ben and I get arrested, uh, make sure that you are checking the podcast feed over the weekend because we are giving you two guest mock draft episodes: one on Saturday and then one on Sunday. We're going to be doing this for the next couple of weeks as we finish out our guest mock draft series. Hopefully, you guys have been jo- enjoying that. Until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked On NFL Draft.